0: Well, as we were reminded last Lord's Day, prayer, or the topic of prayer, some may not want to be talked about because it makes you feel a little guilty of your failures in the area of prayer, but prayer is a powerful tool. That's what we learn. It's a powerful tool placed into the hands of a believer living in a very troubled world, darkness seems to dominate, and here is a tool given to you to be successful, to be effective, and yet though we read a lot about prayer, we don't master being good prayer warriors, but some of the examples given to us in the Bible help. We talked about Elijah last time. James commented that in James five sixteen, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, Again, a lot of you, when you think about your prayer time, you might be thinking about these are the routines and the disciplines that I need to have to draw close to the Lord, and I want to have a time of thanksgiving and a time of song and this and that, and all of that is great. But here he's talking about using the requests part of prayer, and particularly the prayer promises in that way, to stir you up to a kind of faith that can believe God to ask for things that aren't normally asked for and to receive them. This Sermon on the Mount is challenging to living righteously at all kinds of levels. You go back to the beginning, which we did not do to set the context last time, but you see to be attitudes. These attitudes a believer is supposed to have that are really the opposite of the way the world thinks. They're going to trounce on others and they're going to get their success and they're going to get what they want out of life. And Jesus is saying the one who inherits the land are the ones that are poor in spirit, and you're going to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Then when you keep rolling into the main body of the Sermon on the Mount through chapter five and six, you see this constant discussion or teaching on the part of Jesus about what really amounts to proper righteous living. How do you fast without being a hypocrite and pray in the way that God wants it to be? How do you go through life handling your money and not letting your money dominate you and not being anxious? I mean, what a powerful sermon. You come to chapter 7, and he's showing how quick we are to judge other people with something that we see them do or we see them say. But he says, don't do that because the same standard can be used against you. And as you're reading through this entire Sermon on the Mount, you realize there's a lot to say about righteousness. Well, now we come to how do you respond to all of that? Um, Jesus wraps it up by saying, well, if you want to know the law and the righteousness of the Old Testament, It's this treat others the same way you want to be treated. That's the law and the prophets, and he kind of summarizes that way. Well, how are you going to live that way is really the question. How are you going to live righteously in the midst of a either religiously hypocritical uh, world or people that could care less about religion and they just go living a dark life? How do you do that successfully? Well, here, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you, and you see these three imperatives here in uh, chapter 7 of Matthew. And I think it's powerful. Ask, that's a commandment, right? And then you have seek, another commandment, and then you have knock, another commandment. And each of those commandments, if you look at them carefully, and we did a little bit last time, they're also given a promise that goes with them. If you ask, he didn't say flip a coin and see what will happen. He said, ask and you will what? you will receive. Now that's a promise. That's a prayer promise in your Bible for you to read and you to wrestle with and ask yourself, well, how effective really is my prayer life? And then we surmise that the next word that Jesus uses in there, which is not ask, it's what? It's seek, right? Seek and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find that that also pulls us out of our own selves a little bit and says, I may need to give more intensity to my prayers, and my asking won't be just be asking, it will be actually seeking. And then um, we might even go further with that and say, well, there also is the knocking. And what about when you're praying and you're not seeing the immediate answer to what you're asking for, you're seeking to find and you still don't find the answer, you still don't think it's been given to you. So you start, and some believe there's an intensification here in the way Jesus speaks this, then now you're actually pounding on a door. Well, that parallels with one of the parables Jesus taught about the widow that was bothering the lawyer until finally, even though he didn't fear God or even care for the widow, he gave up and decided to give her legal protection because she was pestering and bothering him. Well, Jesus drawed the analogy that God is so much more willing to help us than that lawyer. So we should be definitely knocking on God's door because he's standing there ready to help us. Anyway, um, you guys know and I've said that through the last five and a half years of suffering with cancer, um, it's intensified and it's gotten harder. And at first, when we were saying prayers, you can be very excited about the fact that this is going to be neat to see how God answers prayer. But when you get deeper into a trial and you're down deeper in the valley and the pain intensifies and you believe a lot of the prayers have already been said, And the answers are not coming. And I'm not just talking about my trial. I'm talking about a trial that maybe you or a loved one is going through. Then at that stage, when you hear these prayer promises, they're a little harder to absorb. They're a little harder to believe. Ask and it will be given to you. but, But I did. And it wasn't given, I don't think. Seek and you will find. And you think back to all the people you've been praying with and seeking. And you're like, I don't know that I found it. And then you feel, have I really gone to the most extreme level of praying, the most earnest level, and have I knocked? And you even evaluate your soul, your conscience, your efforts, and you think, well, there hasn't been anything that has consumed my prayer and my thoughts more over the last couple of years than this trial. So what then do you do as a believer in Jesus? You're, you're hearing the same promises, but you're actually suffering worse now. I think that all of us were um, praying about the COVID when it came out, such an outlandish kind of thing that's coming from China to America. Ah, that'll blow over. You know how we've heard the news uh, play Chicken Little so many times. And yet it seemed to grow and just kept spreading. And you'd hear about countries or parts of America and countries in Europe, and they would have more of it. And pretty much the course of prayers on the part of the church was, Lord, uh, could you put an end to this, uh, this plague. So I imagine you were praying that way, and I was praying that way, and it seemed like the exact opposite happened. We prayed for an abating, and it just seemed to go on longer and spread further. What does that mean? What does that mean for your faith when you come to these stark, widespread, open-armed kind of prayer promises? that yes, they are in the Bible. And they are even intensified in some of the other verses we read last time in the Gospel of John or in 1 John. And it is really amazing. Um, Here in our own church, we have great needs, and sometimes we pray. And we pray and we see God work in a very specific way. And we're amazed. Look what God did. God brought that person a heart so they could live look at that situation. But then there are other times where we wonder, but we did pray, and we thought we prayed for the right thing, and we haven't seen anything uh, emerge. Well, one thing I would say to that is we need to make sure when we pray that we are as specific in our prayer requests as we can be, because when we're specific, then we know exactly what we're asking for, and we know exactly if God has answered or not. We also know, And it helps us to reflect the condition of our own faith. What are we asking for? Why are we asking for it? What has God done in return to that? What did he promise, really, and go back and forth between this inerrant word of God and our own walk with Christ and ask those deep questions so we can grow in the use of this powerful tool, this effective tool that can change us and change the church and change the culture around us, change the, the churches around us, change people around us. We can get amazing answers to prayer. Um, anyways, all of that in mind, we are learning about, first of all, that prayer is effective. And then I'm hoping to get to the second half here today, that uh, look at the graciousness and the benevolence and kindness of God the Father, just those things. But we were last time diving into these principles. I'm going to skip over some of these notes. But one thing we ended at was we asked the question, why is it sometimes that we are asking and seeking and finding, uh, asking and seeking and knocking, and we're not getting an answer to our prayers? Why not? One reason we began to give last time, and this is very important, write this down, is the thing that is most important to God in your prayer life is your faith. When you open up 1 Peter chapter 1 or James chapter 1 or you go through... And read the Lord Jesus Christ and his teachings and his workings with his disciples. You see, the one thing Jesus was always interested in improving was their faith. He wanted them believing every word. He wanted them believing the teachings that he had of the invisible father. He didn't want them just in an orthodox kind of way, rubber stamping that it was true. He wanted them believing it. And so God wants you believing that too. He wants you believing his promises. He wants you believing that if you're going to come nigh to him, he's going to do what he said he would do, or he will do something that is better, but he'll show you in time. What's another reason that God delays or God seems to say no, and yet you're doing this very prayer promise here, and the answer is to humble you. Remember that pride is the enemy of the Christian walk, and if you're a humble person and you bring your requests humbly to God, he loves that. He loves the fact that you're a humble child of his and you know that you don't deserve anything from his hand, but he's willing to give it. And so you ask and he gives. He holds back a little bit more and then he gives. And then there's a third answer to this. And that is as you long for the answer to your prayer and you realize how hard it is to live in this world and you realize that sometimes diseases and death come upon us and that's just the way it is in the world, you in your own mind and in your own heart long to be in the presence of God in heaven more than at any other time in your life. You want to be there. You want to be with your God. There should be a lesson we're learning in this world, and that is it's not a perfect world. I know we sing that this is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. But how much is fair? How much is really that beautiful in this world? Think of the coming world. Think of what God has prepared for his saints. Realize he did it for you and me realize the reunion we're going to have among the saints there, and not just the ones you read about in the Bible, but realize the perfection of that fellowship, the love that will be shared, the light that will dominate. The Lord Jesus will be there face to face. And then you look at your trials and you look at your troubles and you look at the delays to your answers to prayer, and it makes you want to long to be in his presence more. But I do believe in time, as we're told here in Matthew 7, In time, God will answer every one of your prayers. Because it says so. It says so. Look at verse 8. It says in verse 8, everyone. That's a promise for every believer. Every believer. In Psalm chapter 50 and verse 15, it urges believers, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. Call on me. He, He wanted them to do that. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you. There's another promise. Do you have a day of trouble? Then I have a solution for you. Call on me. And well, who's that for? That's for every believer. I want to ask you, are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ as you sit here today? If you are, then this is a promise for you. God is under no obligation to answer the prayers of unbelievers because they're not in a relationship with him. They haven't trusted Christ as their savior, and they wouldn't use the fulfillment Oh, they answered a prayer in a way that would honor and glorify God, and that's why He's not under obligation to answer their prayers. But to you, believer, He's given a promise, and I shared one there uh, from the Old Testament as well. In Charles Spurgeon's book, I've been reading a little bit about called "Beside Still Waters," and I uh, highly recommend that if you're going through a hard time and you have trials and tribulations. He takes one verse and then he kind of comments on it. This is a comment from 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14 and he writes this if we obtained the blessing when we first asked we would not have a sense of mercy's value standing outside mercy's gate we grow more passionate earnest in our pleading with God first we ask then we seek finally we plead with Christ tears and a broken heart. I never would have been able to comfort anguished seekers if I myself have not been kept waiting for God's mercy. You see what he did there? He said, imagine if God gave you exactly what you wanted mercifully right away. You would not know the pain and struggle of someone else that had to wait a little longer before God touched them and comforted them. Do you see that? Even there in the delay, and I've thought about it myself, even there in the delay of the pain not being removed, there's a lesson. There's a way that God is prepping you to care for somebody else, to realize their pain more greatly, to be answering other prayers you've prayed for yourself about before and didn't realize, Lord, make me a more compassionate, patient, humble person. And he is. And he's still working on your life. Oh, beloved, God works on so many levels, it's hard to know how he's answering those prayers sometimes we do often need to just put our hand over our mouth and realize like job we just don't know everything we just don't know what god is always doing and so we're in need of of something and we're in this hard world and we're knocking on heaven's doors and we're forced to cling to god we go off and we complain what are you doing now god you know but we have to come back to God because he's the one that really loves our soul. And so we return and we start to grow more in the school of Christ's prayer. And what does Christ do? He puts a heavier burden on your shoulder. He puts that burden right on your back. And he says, you're going to have to carry more. Yes, Lord, but I'm older and I've been around a lot longer and I've carried the baton in church a long way, but But just because you get older doesn't mean that God is done refining you, right? Just because you're older in the faith doesn't mean that God's done working on your life and refining you and getting you ready for the next next step. I mean, what was Abraham called to do in his old age, right? You would have thought he got out of his land. He left his father's house. He came from Ur of the Chaldeans. He went into the promised land. And now he's there and there's no baby, there's no promised child. He offers a solution. God rejects the solution, you remember? And then he finally gets his child a promise. And he's an old man and he had to get that through his wife who now is an old woman. That took a lot of faith. And then what does God say? He says, take him up Mount Moriah and kill him. Sacrifice him. Take the life of the promised child. Can you not see that was the heaviest faith challenge Abraham was to get in his entire life, and he got it on the back end of his life, not on the front end. What does that mean? That God God is so concerned with your faith, he keeps working on you until you really do believe the promises that are in the Bible. I think we're too quick sometimes to look at those promises and put a number of caveats around them. And by the time we're done with one of God's promises, It doesn't sound all that impressive anymore. Yes, you can believe God for this, but only this and only that. And don't worry and worry about this and change that. And oh, there's that verse that says that. Do you think that they were thinking about all of that on the Sermon on the Mount that day? I think Jesus looked them in the eye and he said, this is the way that God is. God wants to give. And so ask him. There was a time where it seems almost, almost too quickly, although I know that can't be true that the Lord Jesus was talking with his disciples in the Gospel of John, and he said, you know, up until now, you've asked for nothing. (laughs) Ask. Why? So that you may, what? Receive. So that, And then he added this, so that my joy may be in you. In other words, it should be a natural and regular response of every Christian, particularly those of us that are trying to lead in the flock here, to just be that kind of person that approaches God, and says, you know, I'm going to ask and I'm going to receive. I just know it's. A, this is the arrangement. This is the way it's going to work. Some of you retreat, I think, in your mind and get a little worried. And I would have put myself in the same category. That when you start hearing about God says, seek and you'll find, that sounds a little too much like some of the circles of prayer, charismatic warriors that really believe that there's actually power in their own words, and that they can command God to do what it is they want Him to do, so that the, the asking is more like a demanding, and the seeking is almost like a follow-through to make sure that God has done what He's supposed to be doing. And there are prayer circles that you might have been in, and there are um, churches that you may have visited, and it may sound something like that, and that is not what the Lord Jesus is teaching. He's not teaching a so bold approach to God that you become uh, kind of arrogant in your approach towards God, and God, this is what the Word says, and now you're going to follow through and use your omnipotence to create and bring about what my will is. No, we always know in back of every one of our requests that we follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in the garden when he said, not my will be done, right? Right? but your will be done. And who is he praying to? God the Father. And so he was submitting as the Son of God, not a Son of God, but he was submitting as the monogamous, the unique, uh, only begotten Son of God. And he was saying, in the end, whatever I pray, that's not the highest will that I want. I want your will, God the Father, sitting on your throne. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I have taught my disciples as well. Jesus was no hypocrite, beloved. He he lived the life that he wants us to live. He regularly escaped from the crowds to pray. It says he spent all night in prayer seeking God's wisdom to choose his 12 disciples. And um, he was a model of how to live a prayer life. But he also asked very bold things of his father. He also claimed the promises that were given to him from God. One way to say it is the way E.M. Bounds talks about our prayer life in his uh, book, The Complete Works of E.M. Bounds. And it's interesting that in his very first chapter, now keep in mind, this is a man that got up and prayed early in the morning before he got started with other events, and he was involved in in the Christian mission and Christian ministry. And he prayed two, three hours a day in the morning, and so he also lived. A life of prayer? What can we glean from a man like this? And the answer is, he says it in his first chapter, that prayer and faith must be bound together. There cannot really be any true praying until there is real, true believing. Now, it's been important to me because I'm going through a very difficult trial. I can't turn to John chapter 4 verse 17, and says, uh, oh yeah, Pastor Leek, you're going to be healed. (laughs) I can't do that. There's no promise like that. You can't go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse whatever and find your name written there to give you a specific answer so that you get a promise from God. You're not able to do that because it's not in there. Rather, the scriptures feed us with a proper understanding of the kind of God we serve and worship the kind of promises that he makes to his own believers, the ways he has dealt with people in the past, and a number of teachings like that, so that we can understand the God we serve, then look at our own context, look at our own giftings, our own calling, and in a humble way, make an appeal to God with strong faith that he do something that we cannot do for ourselves. That was a mouthful but making it shorter. Sometimes we back off making bold prayer requests because we think if my name's not specifically in the Bible, I can't be that bold in my request. And yet you read the Psalms and you see the calling forth to ask of God. You read in Isaiah, you see the same kind of relationship. You follow the footsteps of Jesus with his disciples and you see him beckoning them. Ask those tough things. Seek. It will come to you. And too often we retreat into the errors other people make to cover up the lack of faith we actually have to go ahead and ask what it is we really want to ask. And one reason we don't do that is because we don't want to be disappointed. Because we're going to ask for it and say, but it's okay if I don't get it, God. But maybe right now it's not okay if you don't get it. And it should be okay. And you have to wrestle through that. Go ahead and ask anyways. That's what he said to do. He said, ask, seek. And behind all of this, behind all of this is just, gosh, I want to go into the answers to prayers that I've had through the years, but I don't have the time. But if you just look at Hope Bible Church over the last 24 years, every step that we've taken to get to where we are has been a step of faith. And a number of them have just been crazy steps to faith. Why would we ever do that? We don't have the resources for that. That can't happen. We went ahead and said yes. We prayed. And God did it anyways. There are always people that want to look in the ledger book and make sure it can be done. And we thank God for them because they're cautious people. and We need to hear that voice as well. But someone has to speak up on the side of faith. And this church wouldn't even be here if we didn't make some fairly unconventional decisions. And so just think about that. Think about your family. Do you, do you really make decisions by faith or are they really decisions where you have a careful safety net before you make it, you put an amen on it. And it sounds like it's a decision of faith. It's, a, it's you taking a step of faith, but it's not. And we really need in the future in the church people that can recognize, all right, we've been cautious. But this is something that God wants us to do. We've been careful. We've listened to other voices, but we need to take a step of faith and we need to trust God because he's able to do these things because he promises these things. Well, there's a lot of different uh, quotes. Just let me give you a couple here. Phillips Brooks is a bishop in the Episcopal Church. And so not everything bad is in the Episcopal Church, okay? And he said this, do not pray for tasks, equal to your powers, but pray for powers equal to your tasks. And we don't mean our power. We mean God's. R.A. Torrey, in his book on prayer, and I don't agree with everything in his book either, but this sentence, pray for great things, expect great things, work for great things, but above all pray because God will do it. You don't know how it'll get done. God will do it, but you got to pray have to believe as you pray. You can't, you can't be like an oscillating fan where you ask God to do it and then you doubt he will do it. Why'd you ask? Refine the request then first. Ask God what's wrong with the request and then utter it. But if it's one that you can see properly going up into the courtroom of God above and be heard on high in the presence of all of the angels. If you think that is a noble prayer request to ask of God's church and of your family, then ask it. Ask it. But don't ask it doubting. The word doubting, do you know what that means in James chapter 1? It's a fascinating word. It means to be in an argument. Have you ever done that where you're disputing with yourself? You're arguing one side. Then you're arguing the other side and you're just not settled. Well, that's why he said, don't expect you're going to get an answer to your prayer when you ask for wisdom. That's in James chapter one, because you're asking, disputing, and you're doubting. You've got to deal with the doubt in your own heart. The prayers that you want answered depend on the faith you need to have. And that's why God refines your faith and works on it. That's why sometimes you don't get what you want because he wants to work on you. And that's why he takes you through hard times because he wants to chisel away on you so that when you pray, your prayers will be believing. And when they're believing, then he will do what he said he's gonna do. He will answer and you will find doors will swing open. Isn't that exciting? And when you live with God that way, it's very exciting. It, it pumps you up to wanna pray more. Helps you wanna take the next step of faith to get out there and pray more. To do more. There's so much untapped potential at Hope Bible Church as I look out at you guys. Because of my cancer and because of COVID, I feel like I've been isolated in a sense, not able to see you, greet you, play games with you, just enjoy you. And yet, uh, that's where our congregation is right now. But I look out at you and I see there's so many men and women, that your spiritual gifts have not been fully tapped. So much that you can do in supporting ministries, praying for ministries, getting alongside other people that are lagging in their ministries. You even heard about some of that. So much that you could do here in our region as well. And I think about what prayer could do connected to that. What a fire that could be lit. What lives could be changed. One of the things we've said over and over and over again is one of the distinctives of whole Bible Churches to pray in such a way that we can export and help other local churches that really don't know what they're about. They know they're supposed to preach the gospel, but they haven't understood what a full biblical ministry is, and we want to help them with that. But boy, do we need workers to help ourselves first to build up the quality of the ministries we have here, and then put a hand on our, our brother's back and say, as we learn from you, how can we help you learn from us? And just build this region for God. We are living in dark, ungodly times, beloved. And we need strong local churches. And there's so much that can be accomplished through prayer. Your confidence in your prayers is at the base of so much that's yet to get done. Think about that. The confidence at the base of your prayers is there. And there's so much more that can come about because you believe. Because you don't doubt. Now, this last thought in verses 9 through 11, I just want you to focus on because I think this is the most blessed thought of the whole passage. Just look at verses 9 through 11, still in Matthew 7. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? It's supposed to be comical. Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? I think that's so simple. I think that's so sweet. Jesus just looks out at the crowds. And I imagine there are a lot of children out there. And notice verses 9 and 10. He starts with the word or. Every little word in the Bible matters. Or. And that means something like, or to put this matter another way, think about that parent-child relationship. Think about what happens there. Would you agree that parents don't usually deceive and harm their own children by giving them gifts that would hurt them and then go, ha, 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 ha? I mean, real hurt, not a trick. They don't give them something similar but worthless. They don't give them something similar but deceitful or harmful. They don't do that. If they ask for a loaf, why are they doing that? Because they're hungry. You're not going to give them a stone. Now, I imagine there are a lot of stones around, and so the illustration fit where they were. I've been up in that area, and it's a dry area. And so illustration that fits, they're by the Sea of Galilee. So he mentions the fish also. If they're asking for a fish, can I have a loaf? Can I have a fish? I'm hungry. I want to eat. You're not going to go down there and find a snake and and, uh, and hurt them with it. Remember, snakes were one of the uh, animals that were unclean. You're not going to do that to your son. You're not going to do that to your daughter. And all Jesus was doing there is just think about this. You in your nature are evil. It's quite a harsh thing for him to say there in a way, right? He actually, Jesus actually showed that he was a good Calvinist there because he believes in total, total depravity. He was saying, the totality of your being is evil. He didn't describe him as partly good and partly bad. He said, if you being evil, and he's talking to the creme the creme, right? He's got the best disciples in front of him, right? The ones that are following him the closest. And he's saying, if you being evil, just assuming that flat out, you already know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father, your father in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? Ah, but we don't believe that. We don't believe that. Sure, we don't believe that if we ask for a, a, a loaf that we're going to get a stone from God, we recognize that. But we do hold back our prayer requests from God, or we meander around them, because we really don't believe, when we ask for God's will for our lives, that what's going to come out from God is going to be good. We really do believe the opposite sometimes. That the world and the evil one, if we go their way and we join in with what they want to do, that it's going to be more exciting, it's going to be more fulfilling. And so we run down that pathway into worldliness the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life as it delineates it in 1 John 2. Oh my. God says, "I've got good things for you," and we don't ask because we don't think it's good. But that's exactly what the Lord is trying to get us to see: that when when Jesus was coming and and revealing to us the invisible God that we never get to see with these eyeballs, and He's revealing to us this one invisible God that the other nations around Israel would mock of because you never had a picture of this God, you never had a a stone a tabulate or anything like that. He was the invisible God. What do we do with that? And Jesus is now talking about who this God is like, and he keeps referring to him as a loving heavenly father who's standing by, ready to hear your request, but you won't ask him because you don't think he's all that good. You don't think he's all that delightful. You don't think if you ask for the thing you want to ask for that god's going to bring joy into your life and yes that's the very thing he promised the disciples we would get if we prayed believing he said my joy will be in you and your joy will be made full john 15 amazing this is the god we pray to a benevolent generous god yes but one who delights in making us happy This is our God, for the Lord is good, it says in Psalm 100 and verse 5. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. He will never lie to you. He'll never quit on you down to the last generation. You want that as a friend. What about Psalm 145 verse 9? The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. But God is good. And I love how Jesus sets this up because he says, if you being evil know how, how much more? And that little phrase there, how much more, is what I want you to focus on. Because if we already agree that the parents around us know how to give good gifts to their children, if we already agree that they're going to try to do the best for their own kids and get them whatever they can afford and and get them ready to, to live uh, when they grow up, if we already agree about all of that, how much more would this God who made us and loves us, give to those that ask him that's the question that Jesus is asking to motivate us to greater prayer yeah, I was uh doing a lot of just listening to the psalms that speak of the generosity and goodness of God, and it has it has done me benefit it's done me uh, a great uh, spiritual strengthening inside. And um, I think that that is one of our main problems. That's why I'm going to camp on it just a couple more minutes, that we do view God as stingy when it comes to our lives. We do think, we do believe the devil's lie, that he has all the fun stuff. We do believe that God is going to withhold from us things that are joyful, and so we don't want to ask him for those things. And that's why we hold back. But as I said, scripture always points to a God who is good to his own children. And no matter the harshness of the circumstances that you're going through now, we are told to wait and hang in there. You know, D.A. Carson, I think, nails it on the head when he says in his uh, Expositor's Bible commentary, what is fundamentally at stake is man's picture of God. God must not be thought of as a reluctant stranger who can be cajoled or bullied into bestowing his gifts. He is the heavenly father, the God of the kingdom, who graciously and willingly bestows the good gifts of the kingdom in answer to prayer. And I want to underscore that, in answer to prayer. I don't know what it is you're asking for and haven't gotten yet, but I'm here to urge you to believe that promise that when he says seek, He wants you to seek, and he wants you to find. I want you to think about that promise more in your personal situation and in your love and care for the loved ones that you have, and pray that and ask God, how believing really am I? What's going on at the base of my faith? Am I uttering words because they're supposed to be uttered, or do I believe you're a good God that when I anxiously get down right on my knees or sit in my prayer chair or wherever it is, get in my closet, and pray, I'm going to be excited to see how you're going to bring about an answer to that. I uh, don't have my name written in the Bible uh, any more than whatever Thomas did, <laughs> who was the disciple of the Lord. But me particular and you particular know. But I am being challenged, Tom. What is it that you believe about what God is going to do in your life for the remainder time? I, I can't uh, predict the future. I can't know the future. But what is it you believe God has been doing in your life? What leads you to that conclusion? What kind of a God do you serve as you suffer and as you are in pain? And as you also think about dreams of things to do for your Lord before you are brought into the the kingdom courts? What is it that you believe? And I would just challenge you with that as well. What do you believe about God and how he manages your life or how he would manage your life if if you'd let him? Do you believe he's a good God? Fundamentally, what is at stake? I think Dr. Carson is right, is our view of God. Is he really good? Oh, yes. But is he really good to you? I think it's so easy to answer the question, do you think God could do this for you? Because you know that God is all powerful, right? I think uh, someone that has a different kind of a faith could answer that. Do you think that God could do that? Yes, I think God could do that. But the next question is harder. Do you think God will do that for you? And that gets harder, doesn't it? Will he do that for you? And the answer might be he might not do it right away if you ask. But he may do it. I believe in many cases he will do it. I think the problem is we don't think that either he will do it or he'll do something that is wiser and better than even what I'm asking. And that's where I am with my trials today. As you pray for me, pray and undergird me. I I trust that God is going to heal me. I've trust him with that. And I cannot prove that. And it almost sounds a little bit too radical. But I believe that. And I don't believe it because I believe there's anything special about my faith. I just believe it's something that God has been working on me and working on me and working on me. Um, But my answer also extends much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that is that, Lord, even if you don't heal me, I will get up every day and I will serve you the best I can confess my sins, and uh, live my life to your glory until you call me home. Um, I believe we do need to trust God sometimes more than we're willing to do and not bury our crazy prayer requests sometimes really underneath something that really is unbelief. I uh, I believe that God is good to Tom Leak, and I I know that that is important for you to believe when you get on your knees and you pray for anything, particularly when it is a very difficult trial you're going through. So I just ask you for prayer for me that my heart will remain in that domain, always in the end, following the example of our Lord who said, not my will, but your will be done. And that's where we always land in our prayer lives because he does know What is best. Now, I just want to remind you as we're closing, and I know I was kind of rumbling along this morning with both a lot of feeling and a lot of tiredness, but when I think about what God has already given to us as believers, I step back and I look at the Sermon on the Mount, and I think the centerpiece of that sermon is in chapter 6 and verse 33, where he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else you need in life will be provided for you. Well, that's an incredible promise, by the way, all your needs. But you go on and you read in the Gospels and in the epistles, what did God already give us? He gave us his son. He gave us the abiding Holy Spirit. He gave us adoption as sons. Excuse me. He gave us deliverance from the fires of hell. That's enough for me. He gave us a new nature in Jesus Christ. He gave us reconciliation to himself in eternal friendship. He gave us love in our hearts that we're able to share among ourselves as disciples. He gave us joy as the energy that we need when we go out to serve him. He gave us hope as our bright light for the future. He gave us all of that. And then on top of all of that, he gave us a prayer Promise, a tool to put in our hands and say, I've gifted you and now I have empowered you and I have given you this tool. Now go out and pray for great things and see what a great God I am and see how I can do the impossible because it's not about you and it's not about your resources. It's about what you're going to believe I can do. It's about what you believe I can accomplish. And I, for one, can say, My Lord and my God has accomplished much. And he's a great God. Amen? Amen? Father, keep molding us into being the men and women that you want us to be. Please, Heavenly Father, uh, forgive our sins, my sins, when we complain against the trial and tribulation and pain and suffering that you do allow brought into our lives. This problem of evil that gets acutely painful at times, we leave that in your hands and we trust your eternal design. We would pray if you would be uh, so gracious to use your almighty hand and your heart of mercy to heal me, if that's your will, and move me forward And Father, we trust that you would move mightily in the lives of our leaders, our elders, our deacons, our women leaders, those trying to shepherd others. And Almighty God, you would work in a powerful way, no matter what you do, to bring glory to your name, to let people know that there is a God who is worshiped at Hope Bible Church, and he is the true and the living God who has sent his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our one hope, and our one life. Father, bless this church in that regard, where we pray it together as one body. In Jesus' name, amen.